Well, great. Well, it's good to be back together again for, I believe this is week seven. Does that sound right? Week seven in our dating series. Um, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to end this thing. We, uh, <laughs> we are in no man's land because, you remember from our very first lesson, uh, the Bible does not address this topic of dating because the Bible sees us as either single or married. And uh, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to apply some pastoral wisdom to this process, to this sort of insanity, right, this, uh, this process of dating. So we've been doing that. If you've not been here, most of these have been recorded. Uh, we've actually got some written documentation on this, too, if you want that. So I'm not going to review. We're going to wrap this thing up today. And I'm not going to keep you five minutes after like I do every time. All right? So we set this thing up. And uh, we're bringing it to a close. Really, last week was our, our beginning, our final, our session of, we're talking about the process of dating. And uh, we're landing the plane here. And we were looking at, okay, what, what should this dating process actually look like? So we've kind of set everything up, talking about the introduction to dating, preparing to date, what should be in our lives, and then what should this process actually look like? And so basically, if you remember from last week, I, all I'm trying to do is describe in our culture in America, and in our subculture, Christian subculture, uh, we don't do arranged marriages. So typically the way it works is that people date or do courting or whatever. But normally it's, it's dating, at least in our little sub-demographic. And it, that progresses along a, a series of stages, right? So you remember those. What was the first one? Wow, were you here? What was it? Friendship. Okay, friendship. We talked about that. It's not always the case, so sometimes you can get to know somebody while you're dating, kind of for the first time, if you're blind date, being set up, whatever, but typically it starts in a friendship. Ideally, it starts in a friendship in your church. Again, there's no chapter and verse on that, but it's a great place to start. All right, friendship in the body, why is that good to start there? What do you think? Less chance of them being a little weird, less chance of you being a little weird, too. You know, root yourself in a church, you're being discipled, uh, you're becoming marriageable, that's great. Yeah, no, friendship is, is excellent. You know, you're, you're getting to know people as what? What, what does the Bible call us? What, what's the, what are we as, as single, as you guys are single with each other in the church, you are what? Brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we should relate to each other in that way most fundamentally, Right? So we, we don't need to avoid members of the opposite sex because we're afraid, we're nervous, we're afraid to be misinterpreted. We also don't need to flirt with members of the opposite sex either. Uh, we should relate to one another as brother and sister in Christ with integrity. So that was friendship stage. And then obviously sparks are going to start flying in a ministry like this, and that's good. Good sparks. Okay? And that leads to exploring interest. And again, I'm just, I'm not saying... This is not thus saith the Lord, okay? I'm just describing what normally happens. You guys, you say, you, the category you use for this is talking, right? You're talking. It means there's some intentionality beginning to happen. You begin to explore interest. Once both of you have kind of agreed, yeah, we're, we're kind of interested. Then, it, then the relationship becomes exclusive in some way. Call it whatever you want. Uh, dating relationship, courting, intentional friendship, the non-label. I don't know. Whatever it is that you guys call it. There, but the principle here is there's some, exclu- there's some exclusivity happening, and that's based on the principle of love. You know, we're loving one another, we're preferring one another, and so we're saying, okay, my eyes are going to be, I'm not going to be surveying the field anymore. Okay, I'm interested in you, you're interested in me, and so let's see what the Lord could do with this friendship. So, last time we were together, we talked about some of the goal, like really the goal in, um, in dating is that you're continuing to build on that friendship, And you're getting to know this person um, to see if you can be companions, marital companions, to see if these these things work out. We'll talk a bit more about that today. We also talked about the temptation to play marriage in this dating relationship. What did I mean by that?
Yep. Excellent. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, when you, when you begin to date, there is a, a difference that's happened. We don't want to ignore that, and that's exciting, and we should, that's, that's a fun thing. But your status hasn't changed in the eyes of the Lord. So we definitely don't want to start playing marriage, meaning acting like you're married before you're married. Um, and that's really the idea. And the biggest temptation here, I shouldn't say biggest, a, a large one that we began to talk about last week, was physical intimacy, right? There's lots of ways that we're tempted to play marriage, or, or we would say idolize marriage. So we want marriage before we're married. And so we're trying to, trying to get some of those benefits, and we're, we're reaching out and taking some of those benefits before we have them, before the Lord's given them to us in marriage. And physical intimacy is one of those areas. Um, you guys are full of hormones, and you have the flesh, and you're immature. So it's just like, whew, yeah, well, you got it. It's got a lot working against you here. So be careful in this area. We looked, uh, so we took some time and we began to think through physical intimacy, okay? It's very important that we kind of set this up and we understand it the way the Bible describes it. So we've said there's some general principles that will guide our thinking when it comes to intimacy and, and in particular sexual intimacy. And we looked at, number one, it's a good thing. We have to start there. It is a good, good thing that God has created. Now, I, I understand that you're young and your flesh is strong, meaning the sinful flesh in your life, even as a believer. But we've got to guard against that lie that, that any kind of desire for sexual intimacy is wrong. Um, because God has created us as sexual beings. Sex is a gift within marriage. So we looked at that last week. We found that out. Uh, physical intimacy is fundamentally a good thing. It's created by God. But, like any other good thing, what happens? When sinful human beings turn from God, it becomes an idol. Yeah, we begin to worship that good thing. So we looked at that. Sinful, sinful people are deceived and worship it. And so that's, that is our culture uh, to a T right now. We worship sex. We worship physical desire, physical pleasure. And as a, as a, as a believer, as believers, we're tempted to continue to do that at some level. The Lord's going to help us here, as He does. But I just want to point that out. Like any, like any of other gods of God's good gifts, we, we often worship physical intimacy. We looked at Romans one last week on that, and then we finally looked at another major principle that a desire for intimacy should create zeal for marriage and being marryable, right? So the fact that you want to experience this companionship relationship, the fact that you want to um, experience sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy and those things that doesn't that for a believer we don't want to reach out and take that before it's ours what that should do is that that should actually create zeal to become marryable to become a person that would make if somebody's trying to marry you that would say okay yeah that's a wise choice to marry that person um, so that that desire that urge should drive us to to be zealous for marriage to glorify God not to be impure so we kind of left it at that last week, talking through some of those general principles. But I want to, this week, pick back up there and start to, to dive in a little more specifically on how we should think through relating to boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, what are some of the, uh, maybe a grid system for making decisions? Maybe we, we could call it that. So you're saying, okay, what should I do? What should I do? What's off limits? What, you know, when I'm dating? Well, I'm obviously, I just want to, let me put some, let me put some biblical parameters on this. So the boundary discussion is a good one, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think it's a bit superficial, and I'll explain why in a second. So let me give you some texts, and then we'll work off those. All right, Romans thirteen fourteen says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So hear that language? How much provision should we make for the flesh? None. All right, no provision for the flesh to gratify its sinful desires. So that means whatever you decide to do with your boyfriend or girlfriend, don't allow any wiggle room for the flesh to operate. Beware also of overestimating your ability to withstand the flesh. Because you are young, newer believers, 
You don't have a lot of spiritual fortitude in this area. So beware of the power of the flesh in this. Don't, don't, fall, don't fall prey to the lie that, oh, I would never do that. It's not something we would ever do. Not, not my boyfriend and I, or not my girlfriend and I. He says, make no provision for the flesh. All right, here's another text, Put it just for, for our grid system. He says to young single Timothy, treat younger women as sisters in all purity. We've looked at this before. This means your girlfriend or your boyfriend is in actuality your spiritual sibling before God. That's what they are. So make sure however you treat them, it is done in all purity. And remember, we've looked at that. It doesn't just say just be pure with them, treat them with purity, even though that's true. He says with all purity. So Paul is emphatic here that we should go above and beyond to make sure that our relationships with, with the single ladies are done in all purity, young men. Don't do anything that would risk the reputation of the other, even if your intentions are pure. All right, treat them with all purity, Paul says. Another text to throw in here, 2 Timothy 2.22. Paul tells, again, young Timothy to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Flee it. Run from it. Pursue righteousness. So ask yourself, are we, in, in your relationship, are we fleeing youthful passions? Or are we doing things that tempt us toward those youthful passions that are antithetical to righteousness? You're becoming more righteous because of your interactions with your boyfriend or girlfriend? He says, flee youthful passions. All right, and then we'll end here. From Song of Solomon, this gets repeated multiple times in this letter that's actually extolling the marriage relationship, including sex within it. But the warning here is saying, I adjure you that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So don't wake it up. So let me put this bluntly. Don't do anything that arouses or stimulates your boyfriend or girlfriend. That's the point. Don't do anything that arouses or stimulates your boyfriend or girlfriend. Arousal is meant to lead to something. It's meant to lead to sexual intimacy. That's how it's designed. So, Song of Solomon says, don't wake that up before it's time or before it pleases. Guard yourselves against that. So, let's kind of apply that. Guys, let me talk to you for a minute. You especially need to lead in this area. Okay? Can we be clear on that? Can all you guys say, yes, we will lead? Good. All right. You just told me that. So don't become a liar. Do not weakly, weakly depend on your girlfriend to hold you accountable. Don't do that. When you push these boundaries, you are not doing it because you love her. You're doing it to selfishly gratify your impulses. You are objectifying this girl that you claim to love. And not only are you violating your girlfriend's purity, but you're eroding confidence in your future leadership. How can she trust you to lead her in Christ in marriage if you're not leading her to Christ now? Guys, you've got to lead, all right? And on the other hand, you have a tremendous opportunity. And that's how you have to see it. You have a tremendous opportunity. You can actually cultivate the loving heart of a Christ-like husband by denying your craving and pursuing her purity. Did you catch that? That's very important. You can start to become marriable. You can start to become a Christ-like husband or have the, the, bud, the, you know, the fruit that's beginning to be born there as you learn to say no to what you want that's forbidden you, and to say yes to Christ and to the glory of God and to the purity of your girlfriend. Does that make sense? Thank you. Men, does that make sense? 
when you remove your arm from around her because you sense that arousal is about to happen, you are leading her in purity in that very moment. Now, I'm not here to say, yeah, you can put your arm around her. No, you can't. That is not. I'm here to teach you the text. And the text is saying, don't awaken love until it pleases. So if you can have your arm around her, that's good. You can do that in all purity. Amen. But when this arousal begins to happen, you've got to, you've got to back off. You're leading her in purity in that very moment. You're actually loving her the way that Christ, a Christ-like husband loves his wife by guarding and cultivating her purity. Remember, husbands, what are, what's our role? We are to die for the good of our wives. Is dying easy? No, it is not. So, begin to practice that now. And ladies, let me talk to you for a minute on this issue. You have to see it this way. What do I mean? Don't discourage him or tempt him if he's trying to lead you in purity because you are insecure. Don't say things like, well, I just want to know that you care for me. Can't you just kiss me a little? How awkward will it be for us in marriage if we've not been super intimate beforehand? Yada, yada, yada. Like, don't do that. So you think, oh, this just seems radical. Well, so what if it seems radical? So what if it seems different than a normal dating relationship at Liberty University? Would you rather have a guy who has conviction and fears Christ? Or would you rather have a guy who cannot control his sexual urges? Let's take the former. You must be willing, ladies, to confront your own craving for security that often comes from physical intimacy. And you have to be willing to surrender that to Christ. God will bless, He will bless your marriage. He will bless the joy of pure sexual intimacy within it. It will not be awkward. Okay? We humans figure these these things out. Because that's how God's designed us in marriage. Alright? So you have to see it this way, ladies. Don't, Don't inadvertently discourage Him by your fears and insecurities. All right, so practically, here are some ideas for how you might flee this temptation. Let's look at this. There we go. Practical advice. Yeah, just kind of helping you map out a text like 2 Timothy 2.22 of fleeing these dangers, pursuing righteousness. All right, so the first thing you need to do is know the dangers of lust and the blessings of purity. Meaning, you need to know what the Bible says about these things. Guys, can you name five passages that talk about the danger of of lust? If that's fuzzy for you, you're like a you're toast. It's over. Can you name five passages that talk about the blessings of purity and righteousness of what's coming? Like chapter and verse. Can you quote them? If you can't, We're toast here, all right? You've got to know the dangers of lust and those blessings of purity. You've got to know what the Bible says about it because our flesh is fundamentally deceived and it's pumping out those deceptions at all times. So unless our mind is renewed with the truth of Scripture, we won't be able to fight this. The Spirit uses the truth to help us fight here. So know what the Scriptures say. Then number two, set some clear guidelines in your relationship. That's a baseline. Why do you think I say baseline? Don't know. Or you're just writing. At a minimum, can I say it like that? Set some guidelines as a minimum. Because arousal might happen with one of your things that you said you you were permissible to do, right? So guess what? The standard just got a lot higher. You got to pull back in that moment because arousal is happening. And it, it can happen in the most odd times, you know, of when you've just shared your heart with your girlfriend or boyfriend and you've kind of laid it all out and they've received you and, and listened to you. And, and wow, now you're really, you're really tempted. 
that's a good, the, the, that, that intimacy, this building is a good thing, but, but get married, okay? Because that's where that heads, okay? That's good. It's not, it's not a bad thing, but stay pure in it. Again, it, again, it's just boundaries. We often act like setting up these guidelines or boundaries. They're just kind of like, well, we've said we can do that, so we're just going to do that every time without actually thinking through the heart of the issue here and what's going on. So I'm saying set them as a guideline, as a baseline. Does that make sense before we move forward? Okay. Number three, don't do anything sexually arousing. Okay. Obvious. Don't do anything that's sexually arousing. Don't need to, communi- don't need to elaborate that. All right, number four. More, I mean, equally as important here, communicate with each other, and I put with discretion here in parenthesis. So I'm trying to get as practical as possible for you guys in the dating relationship. If you're involved with one another, you normally hold hands, but it's not, you know, in that moment, you're too tempted. Then communicate. Develop shorthand. Say something like, this isn't helpful right now. Um, It's nobody's fault. Okay? I'm going to pull back to guard our purity. Nobody needs to be offended or take offense at this, or nobody needs to be hurt or feel guilty. You're just just doing the right thing in this moment. So communicate. Let the arousal cool down. Get married. All right? The reason to draw this out. Okay, communicate. Number five, avoid being alone together in private. In private situations that could tempt you to compromise. And again, there's no... I'm getting into the weeds here, guys. And there's nothing in the Bible that says don't be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. So we have to be careful. We're not overloading our consciences here. But I think it's, it's reasonable to think through, okay, there's, there's this compromising situation. The, the guy that lives with all of his roommates and the only time they can kind of be together in private is in back in his back bedroom. That's not a good idea. That's a compromising situation. It's just asking for sin. Things like that. That's, those are the things I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going out to dinner by yourselves, going on a private walk by yourselves so you can talk, you know. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. These are these situations that could, that could tempt you to compromise. Just avoid them. I'm not saying this should never, can never, ever happen, or you're automatically in sin if you're in a, in a room together by yourself. I'm just saying, just be aware. All right? Let's look at number six, dress modestly. Another obvious uh, choice. And so maybe I could say it like this. Ladies, prioritize him over the latest fashions or trends. Can go both ways, but typically it's it's more of the ladies toward toward the guys. But just prioritize modesty, prioritize your your boyfriend's purity and the other young men. Prioritize that over the latest fashions or trends. I'm not saying don't be fashionable or trendy, but just if something has to take priority, may it be this. All right, number seven, guard your thinking. Probably the most important thing we could say here: guard your thinking. And what I mean by that is we've got to learn to quickly take thoughts captive to, to make them obedient to Christ. So that's where, kind of, kind of going back to point number one, knowing those dangers of lust, the blessings of purity. Be able to sort of understand what those lies are and be able to combat them um, quickly with truth. And if you need help with that, uh, obviously we need to be pursuing discipleship relationships anyway, but... Um, if you need help with that, let somebody older who's more experienced in this guy kind of guide you through some of that. All right, got to move quickly here because I want to finish today. Uh, number eight, pursue honesty and discipleship. I want to just said there, but um, this will be the last thing. This, typically, this is think of this as the sort of accountability uh, pitch, but I don't like that word. And the reason I don't like that word is because not, not because it's a bad word, but because of its associations. We typically think of accountability as <clears throat> hold me accountable, like you hold me accountable. So I'm going to kind of go secretly do these things, and I'm depending on you to ask me about them. That is 
so wrong-headed, all right? For the believer, we're not slinking around trying to fulfill our, our cravings. The believer is someone who, 1 John 1, 9, confesses their sin, owns their sin, is, is honest about their sin. And so when we're ta- talking about accountability, we've got to flip it around. It's on you to seek that discipleship, to, to be honest, to bring that out into the light, and to actually, before, if you know, okay, wow, I'm really tempted right now, instead of looking at pornography or whatever and then texting your accountability partner afterwards as sort of a priestly confession to cleanse your conscience, you need to be texting that guy or girl before you look at pornography saying, I am tempted right now. Can you pray for me? Will you help me? Can you call me? Can you help me think through these things? That's accountability biblically. So, again, we just got to think that. So, I, what I'm saying is we want to pursue honest, honesty. We want to pursue discipleship relationships with one another. And those are just some practical advice for how you can seek to be pure in the midst of a dating relationship. And I can't underscore enough how all of this is rooted in faith in God's Word. Okay? We're tying up our our intimacy discussion on this. So if you haven't heard anything else, hear this. All of this, everything I'm saying, is rooted in faith in God's Word. Your emotions will often act contrary to what we're talking about here. It will feel right to become more and more physically intimate as time progresses and as commitment escalates. But we have to act on what God's Word says, not on what we feel in the moment. Right? We have to trust His promises and heed His warnings. And if we do, we'll have great assurance that we're actually worshiping Christ and we're actually building our dating relationship on His firm foundation. And as a result our marriage and our family will be a God-blessed marriage and family in the future. All right, so it's all by faith, learning to live that way. Do I open it up for questions here? Let's say no. Because <laughs> I don't want to try to apply this to everybody's particular situation. Um, we can talk about that later. All right, so let's move past this. Let's cover some things real quick. Oh, yeah. That's the, most, that's, that's the best advice we could possibly give right now. Get married. Okay. Let's leave this topic. And let's come back to our, our major overall, our overall theme here. Talking about exclusivity, let me give you another, another principle here. When you're dating, when you're exploring whether or not you should get married, one of the main things you're going to be doing is you're going to be having conversations. Right? You're going to be talking. So that means we need to begin to think about what kinds of things should we be talking about in, these, in this relationship. So I am just going to give you some ideas. You know, Mary and I laugh. It's like, do we really need to spell this out? But yes, I think, because that's the question that's normally asked of me. What do we talk about? So I'm going to spell it out for you. If I'm insulting your intelligence, it's Okay. Your other friends are thanking me. All right, what should we talk about? Ideas for helpful topics. And please, 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 these are just ideas, okay? Do not treat this as like a checklist. Spare me and your future girlfriend or boyfriend. All right. There's some things that are going around right now, like especially in the courtship culture, about like front-loading the big questions. You know me at this point. I'm much more of a fan of letting relationships develop naturally, like they're supposed to. You know, it's a little bit awkward to just go through the jugular vein on the first date. So, here's some ideas, okay? Your relationship with Christ. That's a, that's a, great, that's a great way to begin kind of a, a, talking about you know, exploring this friendship, but begin talking about your relationship with Christ and, and exploring his or her relationship with Christ. Now, you, you might think, like, wow, that does sound like you're going for the jugular there, Clay. Like, can we not small talk and talk about the weather? Yeah, you can, you can do all that, but this isn't the jugular. This should be, like, what's most baseline to your existence, okay? 
Your relationship with Christ. How did you come to faith in Christ? What are you currently learning? Talk about what the Lord's teaching you on the Sunday sermons. Who are some of the most fun, who are some of the most influential people in your life? In your spiritual life? What ways have they what ways have you been influenced by this these people? Again, just any kind of questions that are going to draw out your relationship with Christ and then share about your own relationship with Christ. All right? Upbringing. Upbringing. So we're talking about family and church backgrounds here. That's obviously a natural way to start conversation. It's just like you're getting to know someone. You're getting to know where they come from and who they are, what shaped them. So here's some just sample questions, okay, if you're struggling. If you only had three words to describe your family, what would they be? Right? Three words. What would they be? Everybody's laughing. Like, oh, what would my three words be? I don't know. But that's a great conversation starter, right? Why, why do you pick those three words? Are your parents Christians? What was, their church, what was your church background like growing up? How has that shaped you today? In what ways have you benefited from, from your upbringing? What did you appreciate about your parents and how they raised you? What was an impactful experience that you had that, that impacted you growing up? What was your happiest moment or a, a really happy moment that you had when you, when you were growing up? What was a difficult or scary moment? What was an embarrassing or funny moment? I'm talking just, you're trying to get to know somebody, right? Um, and figure out more about who they are. And again, be willing to share these things about yourself. So upbringing, got to move quickly here. And if you want these, I can send these to you, okay? If you're really desperate... I can send you my list. All right, upbringing. Number three, personality and giftings. So again, you're exploring who this person is, you know, at, at their core, and you want to share kind of who you are at your core. Not try, you're not trying to impress. You're trying to be honest. But again, if you want to give, give the, the top three question, what are the top three words to, that you would use to describe yourself? How would others describe you? What are some things that you really enjoy? Why are those things important to you? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? What areas do you thrive in the church when you serve? What are you drawn toward in serving? If you could, if you could custom design any, any service opportunity in the church, what would it be and why? What are, your, what are your God-given strengths that you have? What have people affirmed about you in the past? What are, your, what are the limitations that you have? Share those things together that you admire about one another as you get to know each other. Ah, I really, this is, I love to see that, you know, this is a a sweet thing about you. Ask them what motivates them, what gets them out of bed in the morning to to get after the day. Again, just you're exploring who this this person is. I just, I don't have a good category for this. Personality and giftings is what I said here. All right, aspirations for the future. Something else you could talk through. Aspirations for the future. So do you have fixed aspirations for the future? Kind of, I put fixed in quotes, meaning like these are non-negotiables, right? Like uh, I'm planning to join the army in a year. Or I'm going to be a pastor. Or I've always known since I was five that I'm going to live in the house next to my parents. Some important, some important information, Right? It's good to find out. What's that? Purely hypothetical. What kind of things do you hope or envision for your life to be like in five years, ten years? Those are great conversations to have. Okay, Anything that's just talking about aspirations to the future, hopes and dreams, even the, some of the fixed aspirations. All right, Marriage and family, that's an obvious one. an obvious one, and so this is more of what I meant about the jugular. You don't really want to go in here and be like, hey, young lady, what do you think about submission? You ready to to submit to me? You got to talk about it, all right, but maybe build some trust first, kind of get into that one. All right, recover, recover, we have to move, let's go. How would you, I'm, I'm going to tell you, so you desperate folks, right, get your pins out, okay? How would you articulate the purpose of marriage? Purpose of marriage. How do you see that playing out in your life? What's a husband's role? How do you envision that working out in the future? 
What's a wife's role? How do you envision that working out in the future? What about children? Who takes care of them? How will you educate them? And again, you don't have to have, you know, just, you don't have to have, present exegetical papers on all these things, but you probably have opinions already, and your opinions may or may not be shaped by what Scripture says. So these will be good conversation starters to begin to reveal, especially as you can kind of open your Bible and, and go back there and talk about these things. All right, marriage and family. Church, obviously, is huge. Huge. So have you thought much about what makes a church healthy from Scripture? Those are great discussions to see how, how much you resonate. Do you share similar convictions about the priority of the church, or is there baggage that you need to work through? Has there been pain in a previous church scenario that's now coming up through some of these discussions? That's very important to talk about. Because as a Christian, our lives are centered on the church, God's people. What are your preferences when it comes to churches? It's another good question to kind of begin to think through. Preferences just meaning like, what kinds of churches are you comfortable in? I mean, obviously, it's, it's, that's why it's another a great thing if you're in the same church together. You already know that, okay, we're both, we both agreed to come here <laughs> to this church, and we're members here, and so there's a, there's a shared, shared culture that you can kind of assume, which is good. All right, church is a helpful category. Doctrine. Somebody just said yes. <laughs> okay, you're probably not the person who needs to be talking about that first, okay? <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. All right. Doctrine is good. So let me, let me <laughs> as you're talking about your relationship with Christ, guess what you're talking about? Doctrine. That's what you believe about him. That's all that this word means. As you talk about what you're learning in the church, you're talking about what you believe about doctrine. But what I bring this up is, is, as you're in the process of getting to know this person, there may be some very big differences that you need to talk about and get clarity on. Okay, So are there any areas of noticeable difference that you want, to, you want to talk about? And if you're not sure and you're really wanting to get, you know, get into the weeds here, you could even read through your church's doctrinal statement together and see if that raises any questions or spurs on any discussions. Not a bad idea. Unless you're a biblical studies major, then don't, don't do that. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure I know who said that over there. <laughs> okay, that was a total joke. Nothing against biblical studies majors. All right, finances. Another good topic. What are your financial habits and propensities? Are you extremely frugal? Are you generous? Why or why not? How have your families, your upbringing, how has that influenced you in this area? What's important to you that you're willing to spend your money on? What are your struggles when it comes to finances? Do they overwhelm you? Are you tempted to overspend? Do you have no experience in making a budget or keeping a budget? Do you need to learn that? How have you thought about saving versus trusting God? You know, just... Good questions to talk through. Finances. All right, conflict. How do you respond to conflict? Are you passive? Do you prefer to sweep it under the rug and avoid it at all costs? Or do you salivate for an argument? Those are important things to know. And we all have propensities, okay? Do you easily explode or, or do you, are you the slow burn kind of person? Are you easily offended, tempted toward resentment? How did your families handle conflict? And you don't have to go into like super deep detail with, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, but it's, it's good to begin talking about these things. All right, and finally, as the relationship is progressing, you, you're going to have to talk about sin. And you're, you're obviously going to want to share these things discreetly. This is not a time to air out your dirty laundry with someone who's not your spouse. But you're thinking, okay, well, what should we talk about? Well, think, re, kind of reverse, put the shoe on the other foot. Okay, if you're thinking, okay, if you could reverse roles, and you're that person, what would you want to know about you? What would impact your decision to move forward or not? Things that they kind of need to know, okay? We're talking past sin and current sin. So that's important to talk through. Again, not on the first date, but these things are, these things are important. They have to come up. And again, we can talk 
talk about how to talk about those things in a different venue if you have questions. These are just some categories. They're not comprehensive, um, but this just kind of gives you an idea of some, of some in, ways you can have some of those intentional conversations. So, man, we got to talk about breaking up, okay? Somebody asked me this question. Gosh, this corner is brutal. Ah, we don't have enough time, but we have to, we have to discuss this. All right. We've got to think this through. Thinking through breaking up. So breaking up is not inherently a bad thing. Sometimes it's a great thing um, because marriage is not the ultimate goal of dating. It's a, a goal. It's, we're trying to date in order to be married, but the end goal is to glorify God and to do what's most pleasing to him. So sometimes breaking up is, is often what is most pleasing to him. So how do we, how do we know when to do that? How do we know when to terminate a relationship? Okay, buckle up, because we've got to move quickly through this. All right, if you have persistent doubts about the relationship, or, the, or you, you have this sort of prolonged lack of desire, the more you're getting to know this person, the, la- the less and less you want to be in it. Um, you're realizing you don't have romantic feelings for this person. Um, all, of, all of the above, okay? Those are good reasons to begin thinking about terminating the relationship. So, okay, beyond that, what are we thinking? Personal deal breakers is what I call these. You're, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, these are things that they're, they may, one person may think a certain way about this, and they may be able to be married because it's not a big deal. Another person may think, no, this is a huge deal for me, and so I've got to, um, you know, I, I want to have this in a, in a future marriage, and this person is not, doesn't want to have this. And so we're going we're gonna to break it off because of that. You know, you dreamed of homeschooling your kids since you were three. And your, part, your, the, your dating person, um, you know, just wants to send them to a classical school. And that's all they can ever think. And you're just, like, going to butt heads on that. And it's like, no. These are, that's a personal deal breaker, you know. Great. That's you. Okay. Marry somebody that wants to homeschool. Um, that's, that's completely legitimate. You can do that. All right. And then this is probably the biggest, most important, the patterns of unrepentant sin. So what I, what I mean by that is just you're in this relationship, things become, you, you, you realize that there's these patterns that are there, and as they're being addressed, as God is putting his finger on them and is beginning to expose them, there's a lack of repentance. There's an unwillingness to deal with this. There's an unwillingness to own it and confess it. So obviously pornography and sexual sin are the, the big big ones. But things like lack of forgiveness and bitterness, you should run from that. Lack of forgiveness will ruin your marriage. Bitterness will ruin a marriage. Patterns of anger that are excused will often lead to some form of abuse. A guy that doesn't work, that's bad news. A girl who wants to run the relationship, that's bad news. Okay, Someone who's constantly blaming their sin on other people, that's bad news. So any of these patterns of unrepentant sin that are just very obvious, um, that's a good reason to think about breaking up. And again, last thing I'll say here is, if you're getting unified, wise counsel, like everybody in your life is saying, this dude's not good, or this gal, I don't know about this. And I'm talking about those people who, are, who, who have some miles in their tires, they know what's going on, they're your pastors, they're your parents, they're your disciplers. Often they can see things that you can't. You know, if they're screaming at you, get out while you can, you should probably give them an ear. All right? And, and that's, another, that's another piece here of when to break up. You should always be seeking counsel on these things to help you think through the particulars of your situation. All right? If you want something, uh, if you want more on this, there's a book called Danger Signs um, by Lou Priolo. Danger Signs of an Unhealthy Dating Relationship, I think is the full title. Danger Signs of an Unhealthy Dating Relationship by Lou Priolo is very helpful. Um, short, easy to digest. Okay, got to keep moving. How to break up well. So when, actually, when it comes to actually breaking up, we want to end the relationship in a way that would be most loving to the other person. So just think, golden rule, how would I want them to break up with me if they were the one doing the breakup. 
So here are a few encouragements on this. Okay, be clear. Speak clearly and in a straightforward way. Try not to beat around the bush. If you need to, write some things out ahead of time to kind of get your mind clear. Because emotions run high in these conversations, and they never go the way you want them to. Okay? So just try to be clear. And then next, I would just say, ideally, if you can, do it in person. It's, honors, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honoring thing to do that, to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody that you're, that you're breaking off the relationship with. Will it be painful? Yes. Will it be awkward? Yes. But it, but it honors them. Um, give them space for questions. Give them some time to process. Allow them to ask you questions. Even, even have a follow-up conversation if that's necessary, if they're kind of caught off guard um, by the breakup. So I'm not saying keep having conversations. But I am saying you've probably been thinking about this for a long time, and you've kind of slowly come to this conclusion that you need to break the relationship off. And more times than not, you're not having that. You're not dragging your boyfriend or girlfriend through that same thought process. So when you come to that conclusion, it likely catches them off guard. And so I'm not advocating multiple meetings, but give them some space to ask you some questions and um, to kind of let that land, all right? And then finally, my personal plea to you is to own your decision. And what I mean by that is please do not use the advice of your discipler or your pastor as a trump card. Rich told me to break up. Don't do that to Rich. Please. Don't do that. I know, I know it's, it's easier for you to kind of like hedge your bets a little bit. You don't have to seem as harsh because somebody else is telling you to do this and you just have to listen to that person. They're like, don't, please don't do that. This needs to be your decision. And definitely don't throw the Holy Spirit on that, okay? Like he told me to do this. Um, I mean, perhaps he did through his word if there's those patterns of unrepentant sin. Um, but typically the way this is used is like, well, I'm just not feeling this and the Holy Spirit's just telling me. Yeah, don't, don't do that to him. Okay? Own your decision. All right, now let me just squeeze one more thing in here. How to process a breakup. Man. Breakups are hard, okay? I know we've been joking around. Breakups are very difficult. They are painful. They, can, they are embarrassing, especially if you're the one that was on the receiving end of that. And the one breaking things off is usually bound up in turmoil too, so no believer wants to intentionally hurt another believer. So how do we think through this? Okay? Don't leave the church. I mean, usually. Okay? It does, this does not mean you need to leave the church after you break up. Your church is your family. We're the ones who can help you weather through this breakup, even though it's painful to see them in the same assembly, assuming you go to church together. You're, you're reminded of the failed relationship. It's still a chance to grow, and, we're, and the church is here to help you in these kinds of difficulties. So don't, don't just abandon the church whenever it's awkward. Okay? Next, you've got to learn to see the breakup as from the sovereign and good hand of God. So yes, humans are making decisions. These things are happening. Hopes are dashed. But ultimately, nothing happens apart from the sovereign will of God. And so that means as believers, we have to entrust this entire situation, including our dashed hopes, to a sovereign and good God who loves you. Affliction comes from his hand, and he intends this trial for your ultimate good and conformity to Jesus. It doesn't seem that way in the moment. It's kind of Abraham's hope against hope moment. You have to choose to believe God in this, but this is exactly how our faith is strengthened. All right, next, don't grow embittered toward the person. Don't grow embittered, okay? In breakups, Often sin has happened. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it is intentional. But sin happens in breakups and in relationships that terminate. And that sin can be an occasion for bitterness if it's not dealt with properly. So if there is an offense, you need to forgive freely. Forgive freely. And if this is a struggle for you to forgive someone who's hurt you, please come talk to us because this, that could be... Learning about forgiveness and how to extend it is one of the most transformative, transformative things you can do. So, if this is a struggle, let's, let's chat. All right? Assume the best in the motives of the other. So, don't, that's what love does, remember? So, don't assign motives to the person that you don't know. 
Don't accuse them in your heart of not giving you the real reason they broke it up, broke it off, you know, or whatever. Just take them at their word. Trust the Lord. And last, learn your lessons and move forward in faith. It's tempting to just replay over and over and over the details of the breakup. Thinking about what we could have done differently and how the outcome might have changed if you would have acted this way or not said that thing. Don't do that. Learn from it, yes. Like, if things are exposed, definitely learn from, learn from the breakup. But do not obsess in fear or discontentment. Don't stay stuck there in those patterns. Move forward by faith. And again, if you want another resource on this, by the same guy, Lou Priolo, uh, is, he wrote a book called Picking Up the Pieces. So he really had an empathy for the difficult relationships. Okay, Picking up the pieces. Um, kind of how to process after a breakup or even after a divorce. So we're going we're gonna to land here. We're um, out of time. So when, when should you move forward to engagement and then ultimately to marri- marriage? I've got more things to say here, obviously. Um, when should you move forward? You know, you want to make sure most of your questions are, are answered. If there's any big kind of outliers, you want to try to get those answered. You want to confirm with your parents and your friends and your pastors that, okay, man, am I thinking through everything the right way? Just one more catch-all. But look, if your desires are in it, you want to be married to this person, your people around you are affirming you, do not overcomplicate this thing. Okay? Will there always be someone better? Yeah. But marriage is a glorious thing, and you don't have any guarantees that someone better is coming. Okay? So, and I know that sounds kind of crass, but... I'm serious. There's a pride that is often undergirds these decisions that we're making because we, we want the absolute best for ourselves. And it's just that's, that's pride. So if you have someone who's in front of you that you're enjoying and this is, this is looking good and you could build a life together that would glorify God and serve his people, don't overcomplicate it. So marry that person. All right? I left a lot out, but we're done. Okay? We're done with the dating series. Praise the Lord. I'm sure there's lots of questions, uh, but let's, let's keep the dialogue going, all right? Rich is going to come back in a couple weeks, and he's going to teach through decision-making. Perfect segue, perfect. Um, when we finish First John, for those of you who are after it, we're going to go through a series on evangelism on Thursday nights. So we've been talking about that for a while, and that's, that's where we're headed on Thursdays when we finish First John. So you're going to get a double dose. You're going to get decision-making. Um, how to make good and wise decisions uh, from Rich, and then um, evangelism on Thursday nights. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the series. Thank you for giving us a sufficient word that guides us and helps us navigate this process. I pray that um, we would apply these truths uh, to your glory, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.